0: of those are over 60, 65. All right. Am I good? All right. Thanks, guys. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for the delightful meal. Uh, My name is Joel Diffenderfer, and my wife, Misty, is sitting right down there in the front, if you didn't get a chance to meet us. Uh, We are from Union Lake Baptist Church. Um, Pastor Lee has been out a couple times there. Um, I've always been encouraged uh, when he's come out and come out. and I know that the rest of our pastors have as well. and even some of our congregants, I know you've talked to Brian Karnaseki a few times. Um, so thank you very much for sharing him with us. And so we're glad that we could be here today uh, to fellowship with you. Um, I'm originally from Georgia, which explains why I would make the decision in the middle of February. To shave my head and be freezing for the past uh, 18 hours, whenever I did it yesterday. My wife is from Michigan. She spent most of her childhood in Battle Creek. um, And we moved to this area about six years ago um, from Japan. Um, God had laid on our heart, as we'll talk more about later, um, about the need in Japan uh, for gospel workers. And so uh, after we were married, we moved over there, um, worked you know, in the secular workforce while we were part of a church plant so we could pay off our student loans. Um, and after coming back for a few years, um, God is giving us the opportunity to return to Japan. So we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But before we do, um, we have this question before us, why bother? Why bother? Why would anyone bother to take the gospel to Japan? Why would you even bother to take the gospel to your coworkers, or to your neighbors or to share the gospel with your family or to share the gospel with those you know to be Christian to encourage them? Why bother? And Paul, as he's writing Romans, is urging us to share the gospel with others, to speak truth into the life of others because it is the only thing that will take care of our problems and is the only thing that will take care of the symptoms that mankind wrestles with. And Perhaps you or someone you know has had health struggles before and not knowing, perhaps if you're having, uh, for example, as I did, jaw pain, but not knowing where it's coming from, you know, you try and deal with the symptoms. You take pain pills. You find out the kind of food that you can't eat, like pretzels that you love, because they're going to make your jaw hurt. You find out that sleeping on your side you're gonna do all weird stuff like this. And so you, ha- you force yourself to sleep on your back. You, know, you deal with those symptoms, but the problem doesn't go away until you take care of the root cause. And so perhaps in, in my case, something like my jaw hurting, you know, Maybe I can endure it, maybe I can just kind of take care of the symptoms for a short time. But if someone has something like cancer or a heart disease, taking care of just those symptoms isn't going to help. Taking ibuprofen when you have a fever because of your weakened immune system from cancer. You know, trying not to exercise too hard because you have a weak heart. That's not taking care of the root issue. And Paul in Romans 1 is saying all mankind has a root issue, has a problem. And we can see the symptoms of that problem, of that disease that all people have. And so many people try and just deal with the symptoms. But those symptoms are showing us that we have a great need. And so Paul, like his friend Luke, the part of a doctor here in Romans 1 and gives us a cure, a diagnosis of the problem, and the symptoms in that order. And so we see then at the beginning in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the cure that we need. The gospel is the cure that all people need. And Paul only in chapter 1, spends a couple verses talking about the gospel specifically because he's going to move on to talk about why do we need the gospel, what are the problems. We see in Romans 1, 16 and 17 some truths about this cure. Paul says, here's the cure you need, and let me tell you some short things about it. Number one, that the gospel is a cure that is certain. Which is why paul starts off verse 16 with for i am not ashamed of the gospel i don't know if any of you have ever shoved salt water up your nose when you had a sinus infection because you thought it would help anyone no the first time i heard about it i thought that was crazy i don't want to shove you know salt water all the way up here (laughs) but my wife was insistent yes it will help she was not ashamed of it it works and that's the same thing that Paul says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That the gospel is a cure not from man, not from any pharmaceutical company or government or organization or intellect, you know, intellectually gifted person, but that God himself provides this cure. There's a drink in Japan called CC Lemon. And if you get a can of it, it's got the tagline on it, the, pow- the vitamin C of 50 lemons. And so if you're sick, it's, uh, drink this up, and the power of 50 lemons will heal your cold. Paul's shooting a little bit higher than 50 lemons, saying the gospel is from God, the one who made all things, so he'll continue to talk about later on in the chapter. And then he also says the gospel is a cure for all people in verse 16. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you've probably been to the doctor, dentist, you know, somewhere where you have to fill out medical forms right, on your first visit, and you get to fill out all of the things you've ever had in your life. And then there's a section where you fill out your family history. You know, has anyone in your family ever had heart disease, diabetes, cancer? You know, they're trying to see, are you more susceptible to those things? And Paul's checklist is simply, were your parents human? Yes or no? He does use a phrase that maybe raises a question mark in our mind. He says, the Jew first and also to the Greek. But it's a phrase we see throughout Romans to talk about all of mankind. For just for example, Romans 2.9 says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. So he said, every soul of man, to the Jew and to the Greek. But he uses that phrase throughout Romans, the Jew first and also to the Greek, to remind us that God did say to the Jews, He promised the gospel. He promised the Messiah. They knew the cure was coming, right? He says in Romans 3, 1 and 2, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God, which is a phrase he uses constantly throughout Romans to say the gospel was promised. So he's saying the Jews had the promise of the gospel, but the gospel is for all people. And because the gospel is for all people, it's a cure that demands a response. As he says a couple times in verses 16 and 17, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And Paul, throughout Romans, will hold out the gospel and say, you need this cure. Will you accept it? And so the gospel is a cure that demands a response, and lastly, it's a a cure that displays God's righteousness. In verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. We'll talk more about this in Romans to say that the gospel shows how God is just, how he's righteous. And also, the gospel makes people righteous. It transforms their nature, which he's hinting at in verse 17, right? As it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. That that faith, that accepting of the cure, transforms, it gives life. That the, the nature of the one who accepts it is transformed to a righteous nature that lives. And at this point, thinking about how the gospel is a cure from God, the gospel is a cure for all people, the gospel demands a response. Many people ask, do we really need it? Because it sounds a little severe, right? It's going to transform your nature. If you do not believe in the gospel, your life as it is needs to change completely. Who you are needs to change completely. Like when the diabetic goes to the doctor and the doctor says, we're going to have to amputate your legs. Or if the cancer patient goes to the doctor and the doctor says, we're going to have to remove part of your brain and do chemo. there's There's a pause. Is it really worth that? Is the cure really worth it? Do I really need it that badly that they would take off part of my body, that they would subject me to radiation? So when we ask why do we need a cure, Paul points to the reason now in verses 18 through 32. And he says in this extended section that our warped nature shows we need a cure for our separation from God that Paul states the cure. He says, here's what you need. You need the gospel. Let me tell you why. So in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So verse 17 said the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And now he says the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness of man. And that wrath, as he says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed right now. We can see it. So he's not talking about future judgment. He's not talking about when you stand before God. He's saying right now there is something we see that is the wrath of God that shows us we have a problem. And so first, in verses 18 through 23 he says what the problem is, what the real root cause of our symptoms is, that we have all rejected God. And then in verses 24 through 32, he says, here are the symptoms of our problem. Here's what we can see that shows we're separated from God, that we all have a warped nature, all of humanity, that our problem is more severe than we imagined, right? That society humanity expects that evil behavior is the result of a misarranged society of merely poor leadership or of people not working hard enough or a fluke of history that we ended up here with problems and paul you know humanity walks into the doctor's office expecting to hear we have slightly high blood pressure And Paul says, your heart is dying. Humanity expects, well, you know, maybe we can just change, tweak a few things, change my habits, we'll get healthy. And Paul says, you need a complete change of nature. You need a complete transplant. It's more serious than you think. Because the problem of mankind is that we have rejected God. We have said no to his faith. And Paul outlines this in verses 19 through 32. Well, He starts in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and an unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So they're hiding some kind of truth, hiding something. And he says in verse 19 what it is. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. They're hiding something about God. They're denying something about God that God has shown to them. What? And Paul says then in verses 20, in verse 20, that creation speaks to us of the Creator. Right? So we have an expression in English. Maybe you guys have heard of it, right? He thundered out from the pulpit, right? So Pastor Lee gets up here, he's getting all worked up, right? Preaching or maybe singing, right? And he thundered thunders out from the pulpit, nice and loud. How does that compare to an actual thunderstorm? Which is louder? Pastor Lee or the thunderstorm? Is he, is he kind of a loud guy, right? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Whoever's the loudest in the church you know, thundering out. The thunderstorm is the bigger thing, right? We're, us humans, thundering out is just a little reflection of the thunderstorm. We see in... Psalm 29, that David uses the image of a thunderstorm to describe the voice of the Lord. He says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, on the clouds. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. He makes the wilderness to skip, to shake, and he breaks the trees in half. You know, he's using this image of a thunderstorm to say that's what the voice of God is like. But in that case, God isn't the little reflection of a thunderstorm. The thunderstorm is Pastor Lee sitting there. And God is this massive, booming, powerful voice. That creation is, to some teeny tiny extent, showing us what God's like but he's bigger and greater and grander than all of that. And so Paul says that's what's seen, right? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. That they are there. They are being displayed. One pastor put it this way, that the world and everything in it is God's work of art. Just as a poem contains the manifest design and intention of the author, God has made himself clear through the powerful poem of the universe. From the sky of Psalm 19 to the lilies of the field in Matthew 6, God's glory is reflected in the beauty of his creation. But just reflected, just a piece of who God really is. All creation is saying, give glory to God. He's wise. He's powerful. He's beautiful. And mankind plugged their ears to that message. Just like when your parents tell you, you know, go and do, what, clean your room, right? You got to clean your room regularly. And you go, (laughs) you ignore the message. Paul's saying, that's what happens. For even though they knew God, this is verse 21, Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Paul says, it wasn't God's fault. He didn't miscommunicate. And we said, oh, sure, I'll go do that. And then we messed up because he said it wrong. We plugged our ears to what he had to say. Like a good doctor will say, you're, you're ignoring the messages your body is sending you. <laughs> Telling you to exercise and eat right and sleep. <laughs> Paul is saying, you are ignoring the messages God is sending you through creation. All mankind is. We have rejected Him. And what's worse, we boast in it. We plug our ears and go, hey look, I'm not listening to mom and dad. I'm not listening to God. I'm smart. Right? That's what verse 22 says. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And without the grace of God, this is what would be on the tombstone of humanity. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Why? Verse 23 tells us. Mankind exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They took something of infinite value and said, I'm fine with this handful of sand. You know... One of the first communication barriers in sharing the gospel in Japan is the word that is usually translated into English as God. Kami. Because in Japan, well, there's an expression in Japanese which literally translates as there are 8 million kami. There are 8 million gods. But that 8 million is actually just an idiom to say we can't count them. Because the Historical religion in Japan is everything's got a spirit in it. Everything's got a god in it. Those trees out, that tree right there, there's a kami in it. That pulpit, there's a kami in it. I mean, pew. Yeah, thank you. And this too. That's you know that's there. Everything has a kami in it. So when you're trying to explain to them, there is one God who has made everything. There's this, you know. Mental barrier of, but doesn't God just mean like Spirit, who's you know here and there, and there's a gajillion of them everywhere. Because they've done this as a country, they looked out on all of creation, they heard thunder, they saw volcanoes, they felt earthquakes, and went, oh, there's a God making that earthquake, there's a God making that volcano erupt, there's a God making it rain, there's a God in that tree making it grow. They exchanged the glory of the eternal, to say all of these things should be worship. And the danger would be to say that idolatry is not common to all mankind. Because Paul says it is. All mankind has made this mistake. And if you keep reading in Romans, maybe this afternoon or this week, he goes on in chapter 2 and 3 to explain how. He basically deals with objections. People saying, but I'm good. And he answers that question. And one of the questions is, but I'm a Jew. I believe there's one supreme God who made everything. And maybe people say that today. I'm, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church. I believe there's one God who made everything. I'm not doing this. Paul's answer in... Chapter 2 is, But if you bear the name of Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, so you say, there's one God who made everything, you therefore, I'm skipping some verses, you therefore, when you teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the law, You boast in the creator God, yet through your breaking of the law, through your disobeying of him, you dishonor him. You blaspheme his name. That you say, I believe there's one God who made everything, who judges everything, who's in control of everything. But when he says, hey, this is how I want you to live your life. This is what's good. This is what's bad. And you don't do it And you say, well, no, these ones are important, but I don't really care about lying to my boss or whatnot. You're showing that you don't worship him. That you have made some kind of image in the form of corruptible man. A judge who doesn't take sin seriously. That you have exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for some little image in your own mind. A God that you decide when he can tell you what to do. And so Paul's Diagnosis then in verses 18 through 23 is that all mankind is separated from God by their choice. They have all rejected Him. And a cancer patient may insist that they are well. I feel okay. I I feel fine. I'm not sick but in time, the symptoms will show them to be wrong. And that's what Paul now says in verses 24 through 32, that all mankind has denied God, and that the symptoms of that are clear. God gives humanity over to a warped nature. In fact, look at verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. Can you find any words that show up in all of those verses? Anyone? Verse 24, 26, and 28. Yeah, God gave them over. Paul says it three times. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over. 28, God gave them over. Paul says, as a result of rejecting him, God gave mankind over to, as we're going to see, a warped nature. And we see that now. That's the wrath of God he mentioned in verse 18, that we see right now that says humanity has a problem. Those are the symptoms. And Paul lists three truths about our warped nature. Number one, that it is a fitting symptom of our problem. That it is not natural. And that it is consuming. And that if we do not accept this diagnosis, that these symptoms are real and they're pointing to a bigger problem, we will fall into error. And so first, coming right off the problem in verse 24 and 25, Paul shows how our problem connects directly to our symptoms. He says, we see evil, we see people doing wrong things in the world, we see people doing what's not unnatural, and that's because, well, let's read verse 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So their hearts are warped. Their hearts are impure. Their hearts are not straight. For they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the, the creator, who is blessed forever. So he points it right off the bat. This, these warped desires, these impure desires, are because of this suppression of the truth. They are stemming from it. It's natural, right? If I sprain my wrist, I don't expect for my nose to start running the next day. Or maybe all my hair to fall out, even though it's already doing that. It wouldn't be connected to my sprained wrist. right? I'd have a hurt wrist. I'd have a weak arm. I wouldn't be able to use it. I need to wait for it to get better. And so Paul is saying, our wrong desires, our warped nature, it's because we rejected God. It's because we turned away from the author of life that we're dying. And because we failed to honor God, there's even a little parallel. 21 said they did not honor God. 24 said so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And so the error we can make in looking at this truth, Paul is saying our symptoms, our sin, our problems are from our rejection of God. The error would be they are not a right result of our problem. This isn't what it should be. That that would be a mistake for us to say that. And it could lead to a couple different things. One, we could assume that God cannot be trusted. That the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of his glory and deserve death and they're dying right now. And we say, that's, that's not fair. Who's God to say that that's the case? You know, I have a, a brother-in-law who says, if you believe... Romans 3, that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, you are worshiping a false god. Because he has rejected this. He doesn't see how big sin is. The need for righteousness that we cannot earn. And so he says this is folly. This cannot be how a supreme god operates. But if we see our problem rightly, how severe our separation and rejection from God is, then we might be like, well, in the late 1800s, there was a Japanese man who uh, was arrested for committing murder. And while in prison, he became a Christian. And at the time in Japan... the um, the death penalty is still in effect today, but they had the death penalty, and it was essentially whenever the prison guards felt like carrying it out. As long as it was during the day. So he said, all of these people on death row with me lived in fear each and every day. Because they said, will today be the day I don't see the sunrise? But he said, I know I deserve death for what I've done. For sinning against God and against my fellow man. And I live each day in joy because if I don't see the sunrise here, I will see the sun's face in heaven. He saw what Paul is saying, the seriousness of our sin and that it has led to a corrupt nature. And then Paul goes on in verses 26 and 27, if some people say, well, I don't see how our nature is warped, seems okay. Seems normal. Paul goes on in verse 26 and 27 to give a stark example of how unnatural our symptoms are. And we can't lose sight of the bigger argument Paul is making in the chapter because he does say, he is saying that homosexuality is against God's design, but he's not just picking on that one thing. He's trying to make a bigger argument. One theologian put it this way, that in Romans 18, or chapter 1, 18 through 27, God's wrath is expressed in abandoning humanity to the consequences of their rebellion, which we've talked about. In that context... Homosexual activity is singled out, but not as an analysis of individual experience. He's not just trying to point at individuals and say, you're sinning. Rather, Paul's concern is general. He's painting a big portrait of fallen humanity. And this behavior mentioned in verse 26 and 27 does not affirm God's created purpose for male and female, but it's a sign of the disruption. It's visual corruption that's evident to everyone because a lot of people in the Roman Empire agreed with Paul about what he says in verse 26 and 27, that this is not what people should be doing. So, living in Michigan, we have surely heard of the Flint water crisis and the lead pipes that were there. Let's say the, a common sign of lead poisoning was irregular vomiting. I don't know. It might have happened from lead poisoning, right? So, so, so these people, we're, at, we're all in Flint. I'm sorry, guys. You all have lots and lots of vomiting because of the lead poisoning. But I'm not vomiting. So I go, oh, I don't have lead poisoning. I'm perfectly fine when there's plenty of other symptoms. Rather, we say, oh, those people are vomiting. There's something wrong with our water. And that is what Paul is saying here. Some people have these unnatural, right? He says unnatural, natural, natural, natural a few times in this paragraph. He's saying some people have this, and it's showing that all of us have something wrong with our desires, with our nature. And if we misunderstand what he's saying, then our error will be that God is merely concerned with correcting the symptoms of our disease. God only cares if we stop lying. God only cares if we stop getting drunk. God only cares if we stop participating in sexual immorality. And that's it. And if we do that, we will misrepresent the gospel to unbelievers. Because if we only talk about the symptoms of our separation, and we say, man, all those people need to stop getting drunk. All those people need to stop participating in sexual immorality. Look how evil that person is. Look how evil that other person is. Look how wrong they are. And we never talk about this is showing how evil we all are and we're just pointing to them, we're misrepresenting the gospel. That if our... There's a time to stand up and denounce evil. There is. There are times when we say, this is wrong. What society or what this individual is doing is wrong. But if that just becomes the dominant theme of our Facebook timeline, or our conversations with others... They're evil, they're evil, they're evil, they're evil, they're evil, they're evil. People will just think that God cares about us looking like we're doing good things. And we will misrepresent the gospel to others. And if we still miss what Paul's trying to say in verses 26 and 27, he zooms out to the bigger picture and just grabs... A whole bunch of sins to talk about, right? Verses 28 onward, Paul says that our nature is overflowing with unrighteousness, with warped behavior, right? He says, God gave them over to depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of... I can't even keep going. Overflowing with all of these immoral behaviors. That oozing out in every nook and cranny of humanity are behaviors that God does not approve. As he ends in verse 32, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. And so Paul's saying, look look at humanity, look at what we do. It shows we have a problem. It shows we have a problem. And the error then would to be, okay, well, I'm a Christian. The symptoms are not a big deal. I'm cured. I'm reconciled. I'm right with God through the death of Jesus Christ. Cool. I can go and do whatever. And Paul is saying here, these are not good things. The things that we do out of our warped nature are not good things, right? Even if a cancer patient is healed of cancer, if they're still exhibiting symptoms of the cancer, that's not good. (laughs) That God is not That sin is grievous to God. That sin is grievous to God. And if sin is grievous to God, let it be grievous to us. Even if we are Christian. Because if we do not think that our symptoms are not that big of a deal, we will not confront sin in ourselves. If sin is not a big deal, you will gladly lie to get out of trouble at work. If sin is not a big deal, you will joyfully cheat on your taxes so you can afford what you want. And if sin is not a big deal, you will gleefully tear down your spouse to feel good about yourself. Which is why Paul challenges Christians in Romans 6, verses 20 and 22, where he says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit?" were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. That the gospel not only reconciles man to God, that God, curing that problem, gradually transforms our nature curing the symptom as well. And so when Paul says this warped nature of humanities, these things that we see people doing, whether I'm participating in that particular evil or not, it's showing that I've rejected God. It's showing that we've all rejected God. The Jew, the Greek, the American, the Japanese, the Iranian, the French so on, so on, to the ends of the earth. And Paul then offers, God then, offers the gospel, a free gift of salvation to all who place their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So that those who have been steadfast in their rejection of God their whole life may turn to God and be reconciled, and that those who have been reconciled to God, may day in and day out rest in the power of the gospel to transform their lives now. And so that is why we must encourage one another with the gospel. Day in and day out. And why we must take the gospel to an unbelieving world from here to Japan and everywhere in between. So that is in a sense um, part of the driving reason why we feel called to return to Japan and join in the work of planting churches there. We have a presentation in which we'll talk through some of our uh, de- the details about how we got here, what we're doing.